time. Lord, I want to open our hearts and our minds to your word, not mine. Uh, And just ask that my my thoughts and my speech is is guided by you and you alone. Uh, Lord, and whether it is here or someone listening, Lord, I just ask that you just use my words to uh, further your kingdom on our own. Uh, And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. All right, so obviously we're continuing in, in, in the book of Hebrews. Uh, we looked at verses 11 or 1 through 11 this morning, and we're talking about that rest that is, uh, oh, I don't have, I don't, no, it's, it's not. So we're talking about that, that rest that is, we talked about Canaan, uh, Joshua bringing the Israelites into Canaan, and that was a rest, but there was disobedience. And then Moses same thing, the Sabbath rest. There was no disobedience, but it was just a, a law towards the, the, the Jews, the Israelites, uh, and the nation of Israel. So that's where that, that covenant came. Like I said this morning, we were talking about the, the promises that God makes that he's faithful to fulfill it. We look at Jeremiah, 30, uh, Jeremiah 31, I want to say 29, talking about the new covenant uh, in his word. So, speaking of his word, though, we're going to look at just a couple. Uh, the main passage is Hebrews 4, verses 12 and 13. And we're talking. I'm sorry. Where are you? What book of the Bible? Oh, Hebrews. Oh, sorry. We're in the book of Hebrews. Okay. So, Hebrews verses, uh, yeah, Hebrews verses uh, 4, 12 and 13 is what we're looking at. That's the main passage talking about the power of God's word and uh, that it is, it has, has the power to save. It has the power to uh, convict. So like I said this morning in verses Hebrews four eleven, it says, let us therefore be diligent, meaning to make every effort to enter that rest, which is that, that rest, that heavenly rest, that inheritance of the kingdom of God and the inheritance of salvation, lest anyone fall according to the sample or example that was done in in, uh, Canaan. So to stress the need for diligence, we're reminded regarding the word of God. So the word of God in verse Hebrews 4 and verses 12 and 13, it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit of joints of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Okay. Verse 13. And no creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the sights of him to whom we must give an account. We're not, we're only accountable to one person. That is we're accountable to the father. Uh, We're living within a marriage. We're accountable to our spouses and stuff, but ultimately we give an account to God for all our actions, all our thoughts, mannerisms, everything. So the word which provided the examples for the Israelites' disobedience, that word which is now warning them not to emulate that example that they had. So in this passage, we look at the word, uh, the word of God is describing amazing. I think it's amazing. This word, the God's word, it's living. And people think I was watching this uh, Bill Maher and someone else last night and just making jokes that this is comically uh, ridiculous. And again, it's it's really offensive. Like I mentioned this morning, we're talking about the the Barbie that had uh, yellow or pink suit with a beard hanging on the cross. 
it's repulsive to see that and then people to make fun of the word because it's only by this, by God's word, that it's because it's living, is powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, and is the only thing that has the power to save. So it's, it is kind of offensive when people are talking that way, but it's okay to talk about all this other stuff. Well, it's not okay to talk about certain things, but when it comes to Christianity, it's like, it's a free-for-all. You can say whatever you want about it. You can say whatever you want about God's word too. So, uh, so it is a discerner, meaning it recognizes, it perceives our thoughts and the thoughts are reflections and the intents, meaning the insights into the heart, meaning the person. So you look at it, it he totally listens, he recognizes our thoughts. And that sometimes that's a scary thought to say it like that, that our thoughts are, uh, need to be given over to him and, uh, and we need to keep like the, the bad thoughts captive, uh, whether it's through sin or whether it is sinful or it's just, we're having a bad thought about our neighbor. We need to capture those thoughts, but God hears those thoughts. And at a time in which God's word is often neglected, even by some Christians, we, we, got to say, we neglect his word and, and it, it, it never hurts to contemplate the wonder of God's word. So when we sit back and, and just actually think about it, amazing grace, Chris spoke about it this morning. Uh, his grace is amazing for our lives. Uh, so we need to take this opportunity, uh, what's said in the word with a desire to renew Obviously, we we have a, a we are all believers, uh, and increase our in appreciation for the Word of God. So we got to begin by noticing. Excuse me, uh, the Word of God is living and powerful. Uh, not only is a passage in this passage, but elsewhere we read the abiding words of the nature of God's Word. Notice Peter's description in First Peter. So we can look at First Peter. Uh, what is it? Chapter one, verses 23. Give me a second. I don't have them up on the screen. But yeah, First Peter 1, 23 to 25. And it says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower flowers of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of God remains forever. Uh, this is the one, ver one book that has been tried to be destroyed throughout history. Uh, rulers of different nations actually tried to destroy God's word, but it's the number one bestseller. But you don't see that on the number New York's bestseller anymore. You don't see that out there uh, because we live in a secular world. Uh, but it is. It is the number one bestseller of all time. And, and it has been since it, they started it. And it, it will continue to be that way. Uh, again, in Isaiah 40, we can look in Isaiah 40 and it says the same thing. Isaiah chapter 40. And verse 8. I forgot how many chapters are in Isaiah. 
Isaiah verse 8, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, see, the word of our God, this is Isaiah speaking, our God will stand forever. Uh, again, his word is powerful and it's everlasting and it's not going to go anywhere. Jesus said, my word shall not pass away. So think about it, with Jesus, when he speaks about his words in Matthew 24, 35, it is his words because part of the Trinity, the second person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit inspired these individuals to write. Like I said this morning, these are not just text uh, characters on a page. They're living, they're powerful, they're inspiring, they're comforting. But to a non-believer, these are... Uh, foolish as foolishness. And, but to us, it brings life. It brings comfort. It brings fulfillment. Uh, and we can look at Hebrews in Hebrews uh, three, verse 12, again, that his word is eternal and he is a living God and we cannot lie. So what he says will come to pass. And we see that in Hebrews six eighteen. And in Titus 1, 2, God promised that his word shall not go away. Thus, his word will never perish. As Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So it's God's word. This Bible is, it's the blood that's pulsing through our bodies. Without that blood, we are dead. That is where the life is. The life is in the blood. So imagine that heart, that heartbeat pulsing the, the blood through our body. That is God's word pulsing through our souls. So what God's word, uh, that God's word is alive and, and it's seen in, in its power. It has the power to accomplish its intended purposes. Again, we'll look at Isaiah, uh, this time Isaiah 55. Oops. Yeah, Isaiah 55 and verses 10 and 11. So Isaiah, <clears throat> excuse me, Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return, but do, do not return there, but the water, but to water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Verse 11. So shall my word be that goes out, or so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So it's kind of interesting. It's the exact same thing. What he's saying is that water that comes down from heaven feeds the ground feeds the, the plants, makes the seeds grow and nourishes these plants. Well, it's the same thing. And it's the same beautiful comparison that God's word is the same thing. It feeds our soul. It, it waters us. And, and because of that, just like water on a plant, it will help and it'll produce produce. Okay. That, that water, that, that 
spirit of God, the words of God, that power of God and his word does the exact same thing. It waters our soul. It nourishes our soul, but it also produces fruit if we allow it in our hearts and we allow that to sink in and through the Holy Spirit in us, we will be able to produce fruit. Uh, the gospel in particular has the power to save. And we looked at that, one of my favorite verses, uh, Romans 1, 16. And I said that this morning uh, a couple times. I, I read it. It's just, it's like one of my favorite passages. Uh, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, uh, for it is. It doesn't say it has or it can be. It is present tense. It is the power of God for salvation to who? To everyone who believes. To the Jew first, proton, uh, most assuredly above all else, to the Jew and also to the Greek. Verse 17, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteousness shall live by faith. So there's no excuse. God's power, God's wisdom, and God's love is revealed to us in his word. And we can't, we can't deny it. But people do. The unbelievers, they suppress it in ungodliness. And that is verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, whom by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Uh, so it has power. It is living. And it's amazing, his word. Through God's word, we can be born again. First Peter 1, 22 and 23, it is only by his word that we are saved. Uh, we take it for granted. And I mean, I'll be the first one. When I say we, I say I. I take it for granted the power that God's word has. And I think that is something that, that this message is for me as much as it is for anybody else. It is for me because I take God's word for, for granted and not realizing the power that it actually has. It works effectively in those who believe. So, God's word is so powerful to the believer that if we allow it to work in us, it can do an am amazing things. Uh, when you're out witnessing to people, either to the homeless and you see lives change, that is the power of God. That is the power of his word. That is not our power. That is his word that has the power to change lives. Look at Nicodemus. Okay, changed his life. Look at these people, all these people, just by the sheer word when Peter preached at Pentecost, the, the 3,000 people that were saved. Okay, it was the word of God that convicted and changed their lives. And it changed our lives, becoming believers. Went from atheists, non-believing heathens to people that proclaim God's word. So it has the power to change our lives. It can build us up. And give us the inheritance that is ours. Acts 20 verse 32. So we have that inheritance. Okay. I spoke about it this morning. That inheritance that is that rest. That is that futuristic rest that we all strive for. 
It can make a man of God complete for all good works. Without this, people, I mean, yeah, good, unbelievers can do good things, okay? They can. I'm not saying that an unbeliever, uh, an atheist or whatever, can't do moral things, okay? Because they, they can, but it is only through God's word that we see that it's not a dead letter. It's not just words on a page. Uh, the word of God is sharp and it, it is a discerner. How many times have we ever heard, uh, listen to a preacher uh, on TV or even here or whatever in another church and something that the individual said just stopped and just like, wow. It's almost like saying that hurt because you were you felt convicted by what they were saying, dressing, addressing uh, maybe an issue or something, circumstance that's going on in your life. So the word of God is often likened to powerful objects. Okay, uh, here in, in Hebrews is described as a sword, a double-edged sword, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The double-edged sword, uh, I look at it as uh, it can cut either way. It's just no matter what you do, it will it will cut. Uh, I think of that movie that uh, Forged in Fire, this a TV show. They make knives and uh, the competition and stuff. And at the end, one of the guys I forget his name. I can picture him, but I can't think of his name. He's this master swordsman, and he's a master at bladed objects or weapons. And at the very end, he, he tests these guys that made these knives within like 90 minutes or whatever. And he ends and he looks and he goes, this can cut. And then he goes, this can kill. So it's just kind of a neat analogy that God's word, it can kill. It can cut. It can pierce our hearts. And if we're not ready for that, uh, it can be devastating in our lives. Okay, elsewhere it's described as fire, God's word fire and, and hammer, uh, Jeremiah 23, 29. Uh, to illustrate its sharpness as a sword, the word of God is also said to pierce, even to the division of the soul and the spirit, okay, and of the joints and the marrow. Uh, and the divine word is able to cut through everything that man is. Uh, So when we look at God's word, I, I don't want us to take it for granted. I want us to look at it and really understand that when we're reading this, it's a love letter. It's, like I said, it's not a dead letter. It's a love letter that God wrote to us. And how do we get to know our spouses? How do we get to know our friends? Well, if they write us letters, we write them. But how rude would it be if our spouse wrote us a letter, text us, emailed us or whatever, and we don't read it? I mean, that's kind of rude. I might be slow at responding sometimes, but it's still, that's how we get to know our people. That's how we get to know our loved ones, our friends. So God wrote us these 66 books, love letters to us, to learn, to teach us how we can get back to him. So that he is also a discerner of our thoughts and the intents of our heart. Uh, God knows our intent. Like sometimes the law 
is not just what physically happened, but it was the intent on that individual is how it was taken upon that person. So the intent is really important. Uh, why do we preach? Why do we gather money? Why do we do these things? What is the intent of the heart? Is it to uh, build up God's kingdom or is it to build up our own kingdom? Uh, why do we do certain things? Name, just fill in the blank. Why do we do certain things? That intent, God knows our intent when it comes to doing these things. With its sharpness, it's capable, capable of sifting through and revealing the heart of man. So it's like the threshing floor when they take the wheat and the chaff, they take it, throw it up in the air, the wind takes away the chaff, the wheat falls. That's what God does to us. He's able to sift through our intent. He, we might be able to fool other people, but we can't fool God because God knows our intent in our heart, why we do what we do. Uh, so when he goes and he throws up in the threshing floor and the wheat goes up and then the, when the wheat falls back, the chaff blows away and it kind of blows away all the garbage and God sees exactly what our intent is. Uh, sometimes that's scary. And then that's where I say where that, that his word is uh, like a two-edged sword that can pierce our heart. Once that chaff is away, it can pierce our heart and understand why are we doing what we're doing? I have to ask myself all the time, why am I doing this? What, what am I doing? Why am I studying his word? Why am I doing this? <clears throat> so that's something I think we need to always ask ourselves. Uh, its effect on man reveals his true heart. So God's word, his effect, okay, reveals in someone else's heart. In some cases, uh, that one heart is sincere and open to change, okay? When, God's, when, when God throws up that wheat and that threshing and that chaff goes away, he reveals the true heart. And you know what? And if we're in tune and we are in God's word and we can realize, wow, we need to make a change in our life because his sword has exposed, uh, that cut has exposed something that we're doing in our lives and we can change it. And we can see that in Acts 2, 36 and 37. Other times uh, that one, that heart has a desire to change. And we look at the same thing, Acts 5, 33. Uh, one cannot hear or read the word of God without being affected. If you truly, with an open heart and open mind, read God's word, it has the power. It will change. It will reveal his power. So stated earlier what I said, that, uh, that the life of God's word is due to the nature of God himself. In a similar way, the power of God's word is due to the nature of God. So the power of God's word is due to his omniscience. So his omniscience. He's all-knowing. Uh, so the word omniscient is that. It means all-knowing. David extolled uh, or lifted up the omniscience of God in Psalm 139. So yeah, let's look at that real quick. Psalm 139. Come on. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 12. O Lord, you have searched me 
and known me. You know when I sit, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search my path and my lying down. And you are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem in me, or you hem me in behind before uh, lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? It's a question, you can't. Okay, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the after uh, uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Verse 11, if I say surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even in verse 12 right here, we'll end with this. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day for darkness is as light with you. So he's everywhere. God's word is everywhere. He is everywhere. And it's interesting when we see uh, Solomon in Proverbs 15, verse 3, he spoke of God's omniscience. So the nature of God is known in his word. Okay. It is, you can't read his word without seeing the omniscience, the powerful, the all-knowing power of God. That is why there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open uh, to his eyes. We, we can't hide from him. Therefore, no one can hide from the judge. As David counseled his son Solomon, you can't in First Chronicles 29 verse 9, it is before this omniscient judge that we must one day give an account. And that's a scary thought. All our thoughts, all our actions, everything that we've done, we have to give an account for what we've done. Our bad stuff, we, we know that we have been forgiven. We are covered by the blood of Christ. So we know that. But there's also times we have to, what God has given us, we have to give an account for that. Uh, what did God, what did you use? What did you do with the knowledge that God gave you of his word? He gave you opportunities to do whatever, to to witness, to give what we have to give an account. And it's only to him that we give an account. There is a judgment day coming in which God will judge the world through his son, Jesus Christ. There's multiple judgments. I don't want to be on that one judge and Jesus on that one uh, seat. And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. Okay. That is the, the one set of words that I do not want to hear. Okay, reread of that judgment in the, in the book of Revelation, in Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. The standard by which we will be judged are the words spoken through his son. We will be judged by his words. Like I said this morning, the, the Ten Commandments. No matter what, we will be judged by the Ten Commandments. Okay, love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Can we say that we've, we've done that? We've held those two commandments. Can we say that about our neighbor? Okay, that's something we need to ask ourselves. Okay, so we will be judged by that standard. And Jesus uh, in John, uh, we can look at John 12, I believe. Yeah, John 12, 48. 
<clears throat> Excuse me. John 12, 48. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. Or the word that I've spoken will judge him in the last days. So Jesus speaks about that we are going to be judged by his words that are stated. Okay, which should give us, and this is interesting, this should give us a special force in the warning found in Hebrews 2, verses 1 through 3. Okay, if the word spoken through the angels proves steadfast and every transgression, transgression, sorry, was justified or justly punished, how then, or then how shall we escape judgment if we neglect the word spoken. We're not going to escape the, but I'm not talking about the judgment of hellfire and stuff like that. We're going to be held accountable for our words. So we'll kind of wrap it up right now. Uh, yes, the power of God's word is derived from God's nature, him himself. Okay. God is omniscient and he's able to see into the hearts of men and women. Therefore, his word is able to cut to the hearts of men and reveal their true nature. So we have to ask ourselves, what is our true nature? God is living, eternal, who will one day judge the world. We look at right now, you've heard this said, if God doesn't judge the world, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. We see it's absolutely horrendous what's going on in the world today. And it's saddened. It, it, it breaks my heart seeing what's going on. You can't turn on YouTube. You can't turn on the TV where you're not seeing people blatantly, openly uh, puking on the Bible. Basically, it's, it's, I can't explain it. There's no words to explain what, what is happening in our, in our culture today. Uh, but it's a walking away from, from God is bottom line is what it is. Uh, God is living. He's eternal. Uh, who will one day judge the world? Like I said, therefore his word that abides forever will be the standard by which we will be judged. So we will be judged by this right here. The world will be judged by the standard of his. You can say Hitler. Uh, I'm not as bad as Hitler and stuff like that. Well, that's a linear judgment. Okay. We are looking at a vertical, not a horizontal judgment. So I might be better than Hitler in some cases, but I'm not as good as Mother Teresa or whatever. That doesn't matter. God's judgment is above all. And this is where we need, that's the scale we need to be judged upon. We need to look upon. So in view of the power of God himself and his power of the world, how dare we neglect the warnings that were found in Hebrews? Uh, we'll read that once again. Hebrews 1 or 4.1. And we read it this morning, Hebrews 4.1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you shall seem to, be, seem to have failed to reach it. Verse 11. Okay, let us therefore strive to enter that rest, meaning the, the kingdom, the kingdom of God, meaning basically heaven, so that no one will, may fail by the same sort of disobedience, meaning the, the Israelites disobeyed and they didn't listen to God. Guess what? They left, they were left out of uh, Canaan. So remember how we react to the word of God. It reveals our true character. 
Okay, so uh, some are so dull of heart that they react with indifference and say, so what? Some are cut to the heart, angrily resist the word and blame the messenger. Blame us when we bring these things up. Like I said this morning, would you rather have, what would you rather have first, the x-ray or the cure? Okay. They don't need the cure because they don't think they're sick. But as soon as you show them the x-ray, and say, yeah, 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 you're going to die. You are sick. Okay. They can either say, wow, okay, you have the answer. Okay. And go for the cure. Or they can be, how dare you judge me and uh, be angry at the messenger. Okay. But some are cut to the heart and cry out, what shall I do? They want that cure once they see that x-ray. So what kind of heart do we have? If your heart cries out, what shall I do in response to the gospel message of Jesus? Uh, then be encouraged and heed the words that Peter said, Acts 2, uh, Acts two thirty eight. Then Peter said unto them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you have so responded to God's grace, then I encourage us of all to heed the warnings and to be in God's word constantly and hold those uh, words up uh, and not take for granted what God has said in his word. So we'll close in a word of prayer. Dearly Father, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for this uh, brief little study on, on your word uh, that you've given us that we can learn to live more diligently, live with the fear and reverence, reverence, that awesome reverence of your word and just your nature as being omniscient. Uh, Lord, we just thank you. And I just ask that you take these words that are spoken of by you uh, to us and share it with our friends, our loved ones, or whoever that you put in our paths. We thank you and we love you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.